This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, man? Not a lot. How are you? I'm all right. I'm tired. Yeah? I'm wore out, man, from our 18 holes yesterday. Oh, yeah. Uh, Was that that rough for you? Yeah. no, well, I guess when you take 160 swings and 18 holes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, my body's a bit sore. I'm not the best golfer, and if you know anything about golf, the worse you are, the harder it is on your body. <laughs> yeah, that's true with any sport, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty true in golf, too. Um, but I, I added it up, I shot 111 yesterday. Nice. That's not bad for you. No, and par for the course is like 71, 72, something like 72. that. 72. Right? 72. Yeah. So, like, I take that as a win. <laughs> yeah, you had some good holes. Did yeah. you make a par yesterday? Uh, No, I didn't. I shot one over on, like, three different holes, though. Okay, so you had a bogey on three different holes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I shot my best round yesterday, too. Yeah. Yeah, I broke 90. That's awesome, dude. So shot eighty nine, which I after playing the front nine, I did not think was going to happen. Yeah, I shot better on the front nine than I did the back nine. If I had well, shot the the back half, like I did the front half, I would have been in the eighties. Yeah, but the back the back nine at that course that we played, the last four holes are like that's that's one of the hardest finishing like four holes in all of Houston area. So, They're flipping hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Um so yeah. Yeah, I feel good, but yeah. I play golf a whole lot more than you and yeah. I, I play maybe once a year and this year I've played twice. Yeah. So And probably gonna play one more before the end of the year. Maybe, depends. We'll see. Yeah. Um but anyways We've been working through our Advent series, The yep. Coming. Yep. Um, been a lot of fun, super interesting. Um, Advent literally means the coming, and it's talking about the coming of Jesus. Yep. Um, and we've worked through Matthew chapter 1. Yep. Uh, Mark 1. Mm-hmm. And Introduction now, to Mark, yep. Yep. And now we're in... Luke chapter 2, which is the actual birth of Jesus. Yeah, so we're skipping ahead because there's a lot of stuff that Luke is doing leading up with John the Baptist and and Mary and Elizabeth and that kind of stuff in in chapter 1 that doesn't really pertain to um, what I'm trying to accomplish with this series. And so we're skipping it. It's not that it's not valuable. It is valuable information. Um, It's absolutely important. But... Um, it just doesn't really accomplish what I want to accomplish in this series. Yeah. So let's, let's walk through it a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So the birth of Jesus, it's this really weird thing. So there was an ancient prophecy in the old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Yeah. If you are unaware, Jesus lives in the village of Nazareth. Don't worry about looking on a map. Not a big deal. 
all you need to know is those ain't the same place. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> and they're they're not close to each other either in proximity. They're not close, but they're not far. Right. Uh, it's not like you're traveling across the known world to get to them. Right. Um, but there, there's there's a distance between them. And so, uh, the text says that uh, there's a decree that came out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Registered is not a great translation. Um, Would it be better to say counted or... Well, reg- I guess register is the best translation, but the way that we think about it, um, you should think about it more like a census. Okay. That's what it is. Like, he wants to know how many people are out there and, like, okay. what, what they're doing, where they live, all those kinds of things. And so, for logistics' sake, um, they go to the city of Bethlehem because what would have happened is they would have set up a few different like main places mm. where you could go to register and they go to the city of Bethlehem, which if you don't know, the text actually says that it's the city of David. That's important because Emperor Augustus would have only set up a few cities around that would have register places at and you would go there to for the purpose of registering but you would go to the city you hailed from yeah and it's the city of david which tells you that jesus is from the line of david mm. now it's interesting though it goes through joseph right and technically joseph is not his dad right it's Mary, and we don't know anything about Mary's family. But there's something to say that Joseph is willing to extend his Davidic line to Jesus, knowing that he's not his son. Right. Like, it should tell you that Joseph's pretty convinced that Mary's telling the truth, yeah. which is really what chapter one's doing. It's showing you how the Spirit's at work and convincing these people close to Mary that that she truly is a virgin that's bearing the Messiah. Right. And so they go to Bethlehem to be registered, and she's engaged and expecting, and so, well, there's a few things here. Number one, this is where I want to go ahead and point out that... Um, Jesus is probably not born in the winter. Right. Jesus is probably not born in December, and that's okay, right? We don't actually know when he would have been born, but just based on knowing travel patterns and those kinds of things from those days and age, people didn't really travel in the winter. It's quite hard to travel in the winter. Even in Paul's letters, we get Paul talking about him not traveling in the winters. It's just really difficult to travel in the winter. So people don't. So unlikely that it's truly in December or any kind of winter month, probably in late spring, early summer, if I had to guess. Um, But that's okay. I mean, we're still celebrating something. Yeah. And we don't actually know the real day. But I also don't want our listeners to be unaware that like, hey, this is probably not the, the actual time. Yeah, we... I remember 
growing up in Sunday school and people telling me that like this is Jesus's birthday and like this is the day that Jesus was born and all that stuff and so I grew up as like a kid thinking like oh December 25th was yep. the exact day that Jesus was born when in reality we don't know no we just take December 25th to observe it yeah so that's that's what I would say it would be like it'd be like in our current culture it's like, oh, well, your birthday's on a Tuesday, so you celebrate it on Saturday. Right. Okay. In the same way, we're unsure when the day is. No. It was originally celebrated, Advent, the coming of Jesus, all those kinds of things were originally celebrated around Easter, no. which is probably closer to the time, but just logistically, it got moved to the end of the year. Uh, but we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's no. not the actual birthday of right. Jesus. But neither here nor there, they go to Bethlehem, and apparently there's nowhere for them to stay, which makes sense. There's a ton of people that have to come to the city. They go. There's nowhere for them to stay. And so, chapter 2, verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So they go to this place, all their families in town. Yeah. Apparently they're the last to get to the city because their families' homes are all full and the the inns, the motels, they're all full. Yeah. There's nowhere for them to stay. They're le- they're late to the city and she gives birth. And she wraps in they're like I don't know what a great modern like comparison is, but they're, they're scrap cloths. Mm. Um, it's not fine linen. <laughs> no, definitely not fine linen. Um, it's common linen. So I've done this before, and it's not a great, not a great comparison, but it's the best one that we can do. Is I call it's common cloth, mm-hmm. and so. The way we should think about it, it's not this, but you should think about it as like loungewear, mm. like cut up old t-shirts, like it was common cloth, like it was served a purpose before and now it's been repurposed just to like have scraps around. Yeah. So I don't know how many other families out, out there do this, but um, in our family, we keep old t-shirts, old underwear, all that stuff and cut them up and use them as like shop rags. And, like, when yep. you're out there, you get your hands dirty, you're working on a car or whatever, you wipe your hands on these shop rags. Yeah. yeah. Like, is that, like, a close, good comparison? Yeah, 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 for sure. It, it's something that, it was a common cloth, so it's not expensive, it served its purpose, and now it's been repurposed for another, pur- like, for another use. Okay. Uh, so it's, yeah, like, scrap rags, like, that's probably a good kind of understanding about it. And he laid him in a manger... Now, here's the deal. I got to be honest. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I knew what a manger was. Really? Yeah. Do you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. Yeah, it's a, it's a literal feeding trough. Yeah. I had no idea. Mm. Nobody ever told me that. Oh, wow. We don't go around using that word. No. You go into a horse barn today, they're not going to call it a manger. No. They call it the trough. Yeah. Like, it's the thing you put the food in, but, like, nobody called it that. Yeah. And so I didn't know. So listener, if you're out there and you didn't know, 
Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> like it's literally what animals eat food out of. Yeah, and it's probably disgusting. Yep. And so here's why I say chapter one's important, but it doesn't really fit with what I'm trying to do here. Is chapter one is setting you up to understand that Jesus is a king. Yeah, he's the Messiah. He's from the line of David. Like all of this kingship metaphor is at play here. And yet, he's not showered in fine linen. No. He doesn't get born in a palace. No. She's laid, he's laid in a manger. And honestly, um, at least up to this point, we haven't been told where he is. I mean, you can kind of assume that because he's laid in a, a feeding trough, that he's in a barn. He's in a barn of some yeah. capacity, but we don't know if that's like one of his family's private barns yeah. or if that's like the common barn. Yeah. Like the common stable that people in traveling have all these animals and they would have one that you would put like so we don't know if this is like a super private space or if this is like a really public space. Like we don't know. We just know that it's in a capacity that there are animals around and he's laid in the thing the animals eat out of. Yeah. Now, second, I don't know if you've ever been around animals. They stink, yo. They do stink. And not only do they stink, they don't have good table manners. <laughs> They're kind of sloppy when they eat, yeah. maybe drool a little bit. Like this is not a clean place that Jesus finds himself in. And yet, the narrative of the story has let you know that this is a king. Yeah, and I think another important piece is that they, I mean, think about it like this. If, if the king had come to Bethlehem, right, and said, I need a place to stay, my, one of my wives, right, is about to give birth, they would kick some people out of the inn Oh, to yeah. make place for. Um, yeah. Well, that, that doesn't happen here. But they wouldn't even have to go to the inn. No. To the palace. Or they'd yeah. go to the the you know the ambassador place that was in the city or whatever. Yeah, but just imagine some king walking into an inn saying, hey, my wife's about to give birth. I need a room right now. Yeah. And some people would be out on the street, right? Like, Oh, yeah. They'd be kicking somebody out. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen here either. Right, mm -mm. Um, because humble beginnings coming from kind of a not kind of but a super poor family, right? Um, yeah, Nazareth is a village of about two hundred people in which Joseph is a construction worker. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily writing home that you you made it, right? No. I mean, you're an average person. Yeah. Anyways. Continue. Yeah. I just thought that was an important piece. So I think with that, I mean, the stage is being set for you that he's a king, but yeah, he's a king coming in a way you wouldn't expect a king to come. And that's yeah. further magnified by these last, you know, few verses here. But the text says in that region. So, we're not sure exactly where and in the proximity to Bethlehem, but 
it's it's going to be somewhere nearby yeah but far enough away that it's like it's identified different right like it's not like they're just on the outskirts of the city right this is a decent hall but it's pretty close um there are some shepherds out in a field and i don't know if you know anything about shepherds in the ancient world they're they're not at the top of the social stratus no uh they <laughs> they're just barely above slaves yeah like they're not and if you know anything about shepherds in the ancient world they kind of let there's really in the ancient world fences don't really exist mm. that's not a thing you you get this language sometimes in the Old Testament about fences and property lines. It's a bit misleading. It's one rock that they set a post on top of onto another rock. But they don't build fences. Like they can easily be moved and knocked over. And like um, that's how exploitation of property happens, like especially in Isaiah. Like that's one of the big things that's happening in Isaiah. So, like, really, if you were a shepherd, you were kind of a nomad. Yeah. You literally went wherever your sheep took you until you were tired of going in that direction and you redirected them <laughs> in another way. I mean, it's not uh, not the most uh, luxurious of lifestyles, if you know what I mean. And you know that there's there's something funny to that that's a little bit off topic of, of Luke 2 specifically, but Jesus calls himself a shepherd, right? Um, in that he's a guider. Yeah. Right, but he still like equates himself to somebody that low in social strata. Well, yeah, he, uh, actually he does that quite often. Right. Um, just one more piece of Jesus, kind of the, the least of these kind of attitude. Well, and Luke's, Luke's the gospel writer that really gives us that. Yeah. He's, his kind of <clears throat> coin is that he, uh, Luke has the gospel for the outcast. Mm-hmm. Because, as you see in the text, an angel comes to them, comes yeah. to the shepherds, and is like, hey, yo, wake up. And it's weird. Uh, so they're out keeping watch at night, and an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But we talked about this a little bit before. It's like, when you see that terrified or fear, you shouldn't think of it the way that we do today. No. And what's funny is we actually talked about this yesterday at our well. Yeah, we talked about this at the the well we read yesterday. Um, like they don't nowhere when you see that language in in the Bible, do people run away? Yeah, like they're not afraid in the way that we're uh, like we think about being afraid. Yeah, they they are reverent in that they recognize the power of the being they're standing before. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I'm witnessing something that is different, and so I'm aware of the power. Yeah. But, like, I'm not afraid in that I have to run away. Right. Like, lots of times they bow, like a sign of reverence. Um, so, like, that's just a bit of a side note, but... I remember I've I've had several conversations recently about that, the fear of like being afraid of God or or seeing these things, and I'm like, well, 
maybe, maybe we should really try to look more closely at that. They're not afraid in the way that we talk about it because they don't run away. Right. Right. That they're, they're, it's just a really hard word to translate because we don't have a, we don't have a verb for that in the way that they, in, in the ancient world, have verbs for that. But yeah. Anyway, so they're afraid. Angel says, "Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news." Like once again, that cannot be missed. Yeah. When you see the word "good news," your mind should ring alarms so loud that it hurts that this is a political language. Do not think that is a word that Christians invented. Yeah. That was a word that existed in ancient society and it was used to announce kings. Yeah. It is a political word. Yeah. So when he goes to the shepherds and he says, I bring you good news. There's two things you got to know. Number one, Shepherds are excited to hear that there's good news. Oh. Second, they're never the first people to hear good news. Yeah. They're almost always the last. Yeah. Because even slaves hear it from their high-ranking masters before shepherds who are wandering out in the nowheres. Yeah. So, once again, like... Flipping it on its head. Kings are not announced by shepherds. Yeah. Like, it's just not how it happens. And yet, it seems like every time we see Jesus being inaugurated into his kinship, it's being turned on its head. Yeah. Because Jesus, according to Luke, is a gospel for the outcast. Yeah. He's for the shepherd. He's for the Samaritan. He's for the prostitute. The slave. Yeah, he's for the least of these. Yeah. And he says... Verse 11, to you is, to you, to you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah. So once again, you gotta, you gotta understand this. Kings aren't born for people. Kings are born for their family. Yeah. If there's no more son, Right to carry on the line, they can be taken over. Kings are not born for people in the ancient world. You should think more of kings in the ancient world kind of like dictators. You shouldn't think of them as, and my mentor Ben Black will help me with this, like even in England, the monarchy is kind of just for show at this point because they have parliament. So, like, our understanding of kings doesn't exist in that way. Like, you should think about this as, like, dictators, emperors. Like, they get all the say. And so, to couple that with, to you, you shepherd, you outcast, to you, a savior is born to couple Messiah with Savior. There were lots of, Caesar thought he was a God. People worship Caesar as a God, but to couple that with Savior is so unique because nobody cares about the shepherds. Yeah. Nobody cares if they need to be saved. 
And they dang sure never get to be the ones to announce a savior, a king, a king for us. And especially one who identifies with us. That's the other thing that I think we forget because we're so ingrained in our representative government. But if you if you truly lived in a monarchy of the ancient world, your king felt so irrelevant to you. Because he lived in a palace. Yeah. He had massive amounts of wealth. He ate extravagant dinners, was surrounded by the most decadent wine. Yeah. And the most beautiful women like he lived a fantasy life that felt so removed from you that he didn't even know what you were going for. So when an angel comes to the shepherd and says, Hey, there's been a savior, good news. He's been born to you and he's in Bethlehem and you're going to find him laying in a manger. Whoa. Yeah. What you talking about? Willis? (laughs) You mean he gets me? Notice that when shepherds are ready to sell something, where do you think they take them? To the barn. Probably to the common barn that Jesus is laying in the trough for. They're familiar with where Jesus is. They know the condition. This is not how it's supposed to happen. And so they get up and they're like, okay, yeah, we got to go see this. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know about all this. Like, we got to go figure this out, right? Yeah. And so they go and they find him. Like, and the point that I want you to know here is that Jesus being born in this way is very intentional because it's meant for you to notice that he's the people's king. Yeah. Like he's king of the people for the people involved intimately with the people. Yeah. Like he is the people's king and he's here to save. Not himself, not his family, not his lineage, not his pride. He's here to save you.